1: It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays, all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in President Select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG.
2: This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com, tap the banner, or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.
1: Welcome into Off the Pike, I'm Brian Barrett, recording late on Thursday night after I will say this. We saw an interesting football game. It wasn't a boring football game. It wasn't really an aggravating football game. The Patriots, of course, beat the Steelers 21 to 18 in Pittsburgh. And I do hate the Steelers, so it was fun to see the Patriots beat down on the Steelers. And we're going to chat with three-time Super Bowl champ James White, as we do each and every week. And I'll tell you why I'm not that concerned about, like, ruining the draft stock for the Patriots. We'll get into that in a little bit. I also do want to get into one Red Sox note. Not actually the Red Sox, it's what happened with the Yankees because I'm sick and tired of what we've been hearing the past couple of days about the Yankees and getting Juan Soto. So I'll get into that. But the first thing you'll hear is James White with me on our FanDuel TV show. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike, and joining us now, as he does each and every week, is three time Super Bowl champ James White. And James, ordinarily, we're talking about, hey, how did the Patriots mess this one up? Who's going to be the quarterback next week? But you know what? We're talking about a win for the Patriots. And Before everybody panics about draft stock, they still have the strength of schedule advantage over the Cardinals. So right now the Patriots are three losses, the Cardinals with, or the Patriots are three wins, the Cardinals with three wins. I never thought that they would catch the Panthers just because I think it's going to be difficult for that Panthers team to win a football game. So in the grand scheme of things, the Patriots in all likelihood were going to draft second. And I don't think this affects them that much considering you have the Chiefs coming up, you have the Broncos coming up on the road in Denver. Buffalo on the road, and then the Jets at the end of the season. So I think the Patriots are okay from a draft position because you still want to draft a quarterback early. But the one thing I will say, the defense deserves a lot of credit, James. Bailey Zappi played really well in the first half, not so much in the second half of the game. But I thought the guy that deserves a lot of credit is somebody that I've criticized throughout the season, and that's Juju Smith-Schuster because I felt like that throw on the first series of the game that Bailey Zappi made, it was a risk that he took. (laughs) His guy came down with it. And so many times this season, not to defend the quarterbacks, the receivers haven't made the big play. And I do think that that play that Juju made, and I'm not defending his season. As I said, I've criticized him plenty. I thought that sort of gave Zappi the freedom to be like, all right, I'm going to take some chances here because my guy made a play early. And that was really, to me, the thing that got Zappi in this offense going was a huge play that Juju made against his former team.
0: You have to give Juju a lot of credit. Maybe that's what it was. He came ready to go. This former football team playing back on his old stomping grounds early on in the football game. You give your receiver opportunity one on one. He goes up and catches us. That's the type of player that he that he was. It hasn't been like that this year. He's a contested catch guy and a run after catch guy. He's not the, the greatest route runner. He can create separation, but he's dangerous mostly when he gets the ball in his hand, catch and run. Or he can jump up and make an athletic play like that. And then you could tell like, after that. Zappy was letting it fly, even when he really probably shouldn't have. He, he was throwing it down yeah. the field, giving guys opportunities, but you have to give Zapp you know, credit that first half. You know, he was energized. He was he was fired up, scoring the touchdowns, threw a couple of dimes to Hunter Henry. And like I said, it, it was enough. And then it was more than what we've seen, you know, all year long. The offensive line got to give him credit as well. You know, TJ Watt, whether he got banged up that first play or not, you know, he wasn't quite himself, but we didn't hear his name called. Highsmith ended up going out in the game. So they they protected well, you know, gave Zapp enough time. Zeke made some huge plays, too. So it was just good to see the guys go out and compete. You know, I know they didn't score in the second half, but they competed for the entire game.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing, too, just looking at Zappy in this game is the first half he throws for three touchdowns, which, James, this is not Mike Reese had the stat. This hasn't happened in a game from a Patriots quarterback since you were on the team in 2018 with Tom Brady. That's how long it's been since the Patriots have had that type of production from a quarterback in the first half. So, and you mentioned the throws. Like, I wonder if Zappy doesn't make that throw to Juju early in the game, does he throw that bomb down the field to Hunter Henry, which I thought that was probably his best overall yep. throw of the game, right? Where the safety's there, the corner's there. He gets to, he throws it right over the safety. Perfect touchdown pass there. And I do think, too, getting back to Zappy. Another thing that helped them was the defense, where the yep. second touchdown, they set him up right there. I mean, that's as easy as can be from a red zone situation. And look, it's not like they got there many more times after this early in the game, but the Patriots first quarter, they're in the red zone twice. They came into the game with the fewest red zone trips in the entire NFL with 24. Now, they didn't get back there after that, <laughs> right? But it was just big to see them actually find something offensively, even if it disappeared in the second half of the game. This defense has been so good. For so many weeks that they deserve this, right? They deserve their offense to give them some production. And look, they rewarded the offense with some field position. But I just look at it like the previous three weeks they had 13 points. This week they had 21 points, and they won. Like you don't have to score that many points with this <laughs> defense, especially considering what's on the other side with Mitchell Trubisky, who was just absolutely atrocious in this game. They're cheering for Mason Rudolph. Imagine that a fan base was cheering for Mason Rudolph.
0: Yeah, <laughs> the defense. They play hard every single week. They give this opp- this offense plenty of opportunities to move the ball, try and score points, and which which was impressive. You know, the pepper's interception. and they go down and score a touchdown, and then result in zero points or just a field goal. You actually went in there and punched it in. That's the, the complimentary football that we're accustomed to seeing. You know, the defense did a great job of disguising coverages, making Mitch hold on to the football. You know, he was unsure on his reads, and guys came up, you know, and made tackles on the most for the most part and they stopped their run game as well. If you stop the Pittsburgh Steelers' run game, that's what really helps their passing game is going. If they're able to control the line of scrimmage, get Najee Harris going, get Jalen Warren going, that's when their team is at their best this season. So this this defense, another impressive performance. It's great to see them close it out as well. You know, you no know, Jonathan Jones, good coverage on Deontay Johnson on that that go ball. Why, why they threw that, I don't know. But, you know, that's, that's their problem. That's not a high percentage play for them. It was just good defense, and I said all the guys came to play. Duggar, early on in the game, Jennings, he was setting the edge, beating Darnell Washington a few times. So a lot of guys showed up, and it was a good team win.
1: Yeah, and I thought, too, you mentioned in terms of confusing Trubisky, that interception they had. It's a third and ten, and that's where you want Trubisky, right, (laughs) where you know he has to throw the football. Duggar comes on a blitz, and that leads to the Peppers interception, which leads to the Patriots' second touchdown. And then I thought after halftime, it's a third and 11 to start the second half. Trubisky finds Hayward, Cam Hayward's brother. And then he leaps Jonathan Jones. They pick up a first down. And I'm thinking, OK, here is sort of where the game's going to change. They're going to go on a big drive. But after that, they end up forcing a punt. They bring Duggar on a blitz. So right then and there, you feel like, hey, they took seven minutes off the clock and they had to punt, yep. which is obviously massive for the Patriots, right? And then... They were put in a bad position twice, once by the offense where Zappy had that bad interception. Not that interceptions yeah. are good, but that was a terrible interception considering the score of the game, where you were on the field. And they come up with a stop, right? They turn them over on downs. Now, unfortunately, the next time the, the <laughs> Patriots have to punt the ball, they end up scoring on that when They took over at, what, the 16? Or the once was the 26, once was the 16. But at least one of those on the short field they come up with a massive stop. So that's where I think this defense in this game came up with critical plays. And they haven't had Judon forever. They haven't had Christian Gonzalez forever. And they're still able to perform at this level, which I go back and I look at sort of the outlook of this entire season. And we talked about this last week. The one thing I feel good about going forward with this team is some of the defensive personnel they have. But I feel bad for a lot of guys on that side of the ball. Like when you were playing, James, you guys were a dynasty, right? So... Look, there were years where the defense wasn't great, but when you guys won in 14, 16, and 18, all those, especially 18 and 14 really too, but you guys had outstanding defenses. I can't imagine what it feels like to be on the offensive side of things when you know you're letting down the defense, right? Like you're not trying to do this, but the defense is playing so well. It's just going to be, and that's going to like affect the locker room at times. And I give the defensive players credit, like Jalen Mills last week said, Hey, well, we gave up six points. We lost by six. We can't give up six points, but I have to imagine the offense feels like, hey, at least for a week, we helped out our guys because this has been going on all season.
0: Oh, yeah. It's, it's exhausting as a defender when you're going out there. It feels like you're on the field the entire game. You're going out there getting stops. Maybe the, they go on long drives, you home the field goals, and your offense goes three and out or you know, a few plays, interception. It's very tiring. And as an offense, you, you feel like crap for sure because you're, you're out there. I mean, you're trying, and ain't, ain't nothing working. He just got to figure it out. But I I think you got to give a lot of credit to, to Bill Belichick. I know all season, you know, people have been on him, but he he helps coach the defense. And, you know, his defense is going to be prepared and ready to go. They have been all year long. You can probably, you know, question him from a, a GM standpoint as far as, you know, setting up the offense or, you know, those pieces haven't worked well together. You can question that and the whole offensive performance. But I think defensively, you know, he, to me, he, he's – has not lost a step whatsoever when it comes to coaching. I know they're preparing the same. They're working the same. It's just offensively, you know, things just haven't worked out. And who knows why that's happening. But I said, I think you have to give him a lot of kudos. I said, the coaching, he's still doing a great job of coaching this team.
1: Yeah, the only critique I'd have of Bill in this game in particular is the fourth and one at the Patriots, 45, 824 left. You're up 21 to 18. Now, look, your defense held up. So it worked out for you. But at that point, I'm like. Fourth and one. I think you well, actually, now that I think about it later on in the game, maybe Bill O'Brien would have called the tush push play that Philly likes to run and lose yardage again like he yeah. did late in the game, which I, I didn't think was a very Zab, Zab's intelligent not, play. That's
0: not a good yeah. QB sneaker. I wouldn't I wouldn't call that with <laughs> Was he?
1: I mean, how much does he weigh? I mean I think he weighs less than me. The guy is tiny.
0: With the with a QB sneak you gotta have like some sense of urgency when you when you get the snap, he he almost like gets it, waits, then goes. You just gotta, it's like gotta be like one motion. You're getting it and you're going forward. And Thomas is great at it. Obviously, Hertz is great at. It. There's some guys that just really have a a good feel for. it. He doesn't have.
1: <laughs> no, he's got no idea. And I I, th- I thought like I I'm not even mad about with Zappy with this. It's more to me like a Bill O'Brien thing. <laughs> like, know, dude, you gotta call. have more in the. <laughs> On the play sheet yeah. and that, like, that's what we're coming up with. It feels like, to me, like, the only team that runs this well across the whole NFL is Philadelphia. Now, Arizona ran it well for a while when they had Josh Dobbs. But also, if you look at that coaching staff, a lot of that coaching staff, well, the head coach at least, came yeah. from Philadelphia where they had been running it. So when you look at it from that perspective, it makes sense. Now, I mentioned Juju. The one other thing I wanted to mention about him is... So he had a season high 54 yards in the first quarter. He finished with 90 receiving yards in the game. This is the second time he was over 50 yards. And the important thing here is, obviously this year it was a bust of a contract. But next year, and the year after that he's under contract, and next year the dead cap hit is 12.3 million. So you're not going to cut him. So... Even if you lose out, which I expect the Patriots to do, like you need to see this guy perform because he's going to be part of the equation next year, no matter who the quarterback was. And at least we saw him play well in one game because we haven't seen that all season long.
0: Yeah, I mean, I still think he has plenty, plenty left in the tank. He's a good football player. But when he's at his best is what we've seen is when there's other good pieces around him, like in Pittsburgh, you had Antonio Brown, you had other guys so he can take advantage of of maybe a lesser corner or the slot corner in in Kansas City. There was other weapons. Travis Kelsey, a couple other guys. You got Patrick Mahomes that can that can make plays, and then he's able to work off of that. And he had what almost a thousand yards last season with Kansas City. So I don't think. I mean, either way, even based off his performance this year, I don't think you just you know completely dump the guy with you know all the dead money and all that. I just feel like you add more pieces in that receiving room to where you know the onus a little bit of the onus is. Off of him a little. bit. I know he's making a good amount of money, but whether it's a a rookie you draft in the first or second round, or another veteran good player that you sign in free agency, you got to just have a good core receiver. It's never just about one player. Obviously, there's some guys they're gonna dominate. You know, whether there's just them and nobody else in the room, but he's one of those guys. I feel like he really benefits off having, you know, at least a, another two or three guys that can help dictate coverage.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. And the number one thing is going to be after the quarterback this offseason is get the number one receiver. All right, welcome back into Off the Pike. And just picking up where we're leaving off there, James, on our FanDuel TV show is, yeah, I think you're completely right on that. Where Juju Smith-Schuster was never meant to be a number one receiver, right? Like, to your point, Antonio Brown, and then it was Travis Kelsey last year. So... These things that we we talk about with the Patriots, the quarterback, but I also think like the receiver, that's going to be number two on the list because maybe you can get Juju Smith-Schuster back to being a productive receiver. Like we've gone through it all season long. Like, hey, why did they let Jacoby leave and then basically turn around and give Juju Smith-Schuster a very similar contract? I know there's differences in the contract, but it's very similar. But he's still, what, 28 years old. He still should have some years in front of him. And it hasn't looked good. But maybe we're finding out like if we see another game or two like this, maybe what we'll come back and say is, yeah, it was more about the knee at the beginning of the season. Like he was coming back from a knee issue and maybe down the stretch of the season, we see more production from him because they're clearly going to need that from him next year, no matter who the quarterback is, because he's going to be one of the receivers <laughs> that's on the field next year for this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's why, you know, these last few games are important. Though. A lot of people just like, oh, don't don't even try go out there and lose and this and that, but it's, it's important for a lot of these guys. You want to finish these last few games out the right way from a, a confidence standpoint as a football player, as a competitor. I think these games are very important for Juju. Obviously, there's a lot of receivers that have been banged up. You know, Pop Douglas, Devontae's been hurt a bunch, KB's out, so he's going to get plenty of opportunities to get a lot of targets, a lot of repetitions, especially after this week. You already know Bailey Zappi's going to be looking for Hunter Henry. And Juju Smith Schuster going forward. That, that's, those are going to be his two guys that he's going to give plenty of opportunities to. He's going to look for him. That's just how it goes. When you have a good performance with your quarterback, he starts to look your way a little bit more. And I think he'll start to become the, the number one target, you know, for those last few games of the season. I think he has to perform big. I mean, no matter what the team's record is.
1: Yeah, so on Zappy, I tweeted out during the first half because he was like ripping it up, right? He's tearing it up. He looks awesome. I tweeted out. <laughs> how bad was he at practice? Like we need the footage to see how bad he was because think about Mac Jones, like for the majority of the season. And I know bill basically said a week and a half ago that they wanted to give Mac more opportunities because they wanted to see if he could overcome these issues. Obviously he didn't overcome these issues, but Zappi goes out there and he plays pretty well in the first half. Now I think the second half is part of the reason that they didn't put (laughs) Zappi in for Mac Jones because he was pretty bad in the second half. Now in totality, This was one of the best games we've seen from a Patriots quarterback this year, if not the best game. Not to say that that's anything of a high accomplishment (laughs) because the quarterback play has been really bad all season long. But I have to imagine like and we know in preseason and in training camp, he wasn't good. We know that he didn't really take to Bill O'Brien's offense going back to training camp. But I just I have to think like he must have been so bad in practice. Right. Because. Of the two factors here, what we saw in this game tonight, but secondarily, what we saw from Mac. So I know Bill's all about like, hey, you got to perform in practice to play in the games and all that different type of stuff. But do you think he was just like awful out there at practice?
0: I don't necessarily think it means he was just awful. Maybe he's just not doing the things that they need to see from him at the quarterback position, making the same mistakes, you know, make the same mistakes you're making in training camp, you know, have a few good plays and a couple bad plays. Now, in practice, you only have a, a limited amount of reps as a backup quarterback, so you're not capitalizing on those. And when you step in, and you're not doing things the right way, and it's hard for them to look and be like, okay, we should give this guy opportunity to go out here and start a full football game. And I think maybe that's where the issue may lie, because you, you see the tail of two halves. So he goes out there has a heck of a performance yeah. in the first half, and the second half, you're like, oh whoa, like what, like we can't do anything offensively now, like what, like where did that go? So. I, I think it was great for him to go out there and perform the way he did in the first half now going forward see if he can put together you know a full four quarter game it's not just him obviously it has to be receivers offensive line running backs and everything for him as a quarterback you just have to take charge and continue you you go out there and throw TDs in the first half let's not leave the game with three TDs in the first half let's let's finish with at least yeah. at least four you know what I mean whether it's you you know whether somebody's running it in or you throwing it in let's let's get back in the flow get back in the rhythm cuz obviously the team that's gonna make some adjustments based on what they saw in the first half they're gonna oh they're doing this. this is the reason they created those big plays and you have to make your adjustments as well
1: well it's a great point too because maybe mac was actually doing the right things yeah. to practice yeah. and then it's just like when he gets into the game it's right when he out. could actually get hit like it completely <laughs> falls apart from and the other factor is like The interception Zappy threw. It's just like, man, you can't do that at that point during the game, right? Like, you're in complete control of this thing. You can't have a turnover like that. And unfortunately, in that particular situation, Zappy turned the football over. So we'll see going forward. Like, I still envision the Patriots getting the number two pick. And I would imagine the pick is going to be Drake May. I mean, we'll see. I can't imagine that either one of these guys is the starting quarterback for the Patriots in 2024. Now, let's hope, as I mentioned, like, they're still good in terms of the draft stock because of the strength of schedule stuff in terms of them versus the Cardinals. The one other thing that was sort of, even though they won a concern is the special teams continues to be a problem this year. And it was an issue last year. It's really been an issue over the past two to three years, which this is always a strength of the Patriots. I think first of all, the schooler penalty, that's just dumb. Like you can't (laughs) do that. And he's supposed to be like a core special teams guy that can't happen. And then secondarily, the block there that Killebrew had, I don't know like what Montgomery was doing in that particular situation. If you go to the next punt, it feels like he was actually off the field after that, like that Montgomery was not back out there the second time. So I do wonder about that in terms of the special team stuff, because I know that's just going to irk Bill. I saw Bill O'Brien like chewing out school or two after that play, so... What do you think it is? Is that just like an attention to detail thing? Because this has really never been an issue for the Patriots. In fact, it's always been a strength.
0: I think it's an attention to detail thing. It's not being locked in on special teams. You have to be locked in at all times on the sideline, during the play, before the play. Obviously, the schooler thing, you got to be smart. Never be the last guy to push and do all that. They always end up throwing the flag on you. The guy flopped and all that, but Yeah, it's just been sloppy as far as specialty. that's the thing we felt like we always had an advantage in. We had guys who specialized in that. And even the the guys who played on defense, offense, who played those, you know, those roles, they took it seriously. And we felt like we dominated in those situations. And it it helped, especially if offensively we weren't getting anything going, Feel like the special teams can make a play in the return game, which we haven't seen too much this year, or we block a punt or do things like that. That's been a, a missing part of it. I think it comes down to details and focus.
1: Yeah, no doubt. And I think about too, just like this organization going forward, if Bill is going to be back, like, I can't imagine there's anything he would have to do down the stretch of the season to sort of keep his job, right? Like I think if Robert Kraft is going to move on from Bill, like that decision has already been made. But I do wonder from Bill's perspective, if Bill does want to stay here, like if Bill's considering, hey, maybe I do want to go somewhere else and we've gone through the different teams that are going to need a head coach, like the team they played last week in the Chargers. But I do wonder if Bill gets this team to play more similar to the way that it played tonight, maybe he starts to believe that, hey, I can come back if I have the number two pick in the draft. Like we've seen teams with rookie quarterbacks be competitive, especially a quarterback in his second year after the one year on the rookie contract, if he feels like, hey, like I have some pillars to my defense in place when I get Christian Gonzalez back, if I add a weapon in the offseason, T. Higgins, whoever that receiver may be that's going to be out there in the open market, and I feel like I have a quarterback in place, well, then maybe I'm on to something here, rather than wanting to start all over again somewhere else. Like if the ball's in Bill Belichick's court, he actually, now that I think about it, like Herbert's a really good quarterback for the Chargers, but that roster is aging, and it's not that good anymore, right? I mean, we saw that last week. It was 6 to nothing. So he may come to the conclusion that if if Kraft wants him to stay, he may actually come to the conclusion that, hey, this may be the best fit. And in two years or three years from now, maybe Kraft gets him to agree, and I know they can't say this, like, openly. Hey, after two years, like, Gerard Mayo is going to get this job. Because obviously they did something to keep Mayo here in the offseason, right? Because of the fact that Mayo had opportunities to interview for other had coaching opportunities that he didn't. But I do wonder that, like, hey, like, hey, Zappy's just if Zappy just plays competent football, they're going to be a lot more competitive. And maybe Bill says, hey, if I get a rookie with more talent, maybe I can be competitive again in the near future, especially considering how this division looks right now. I know the Jets are going to get back Aaron Rodgers. But the Bills, I mean, some of the stuff that's coming out of uh, from Buffalo, <laughs> I mean, that is a complete, yeah. I mean, jeez, like the stuff that's coming, we can get to that in a second, but the stuff that's coming out of Buffalo, and then, I look, Miami's a good team, but maybe they look at it and say, maybe Bill looks at it and says, hey, let me get a quarterback that's a little bit more ta- or more talented than Mac, and let me go from there.
0: Yeah, I feel like that, that conversation has been had, you know, I feel like a, a yeah. few weeks ago between Bill and Krav, as far as what they, what he or what Krav plans on doing, Going forward, and I think it's best for both parties to to keep Bill there. For Bill, I don't see why you would want to go anywhere else. You, it's hard to just step into an organization. I know there's good football players everywhere. You may not have the buy in. It's hard to just walk in and you know coach the way you want to when guys haven't t- taken that coaching you know, throughout their careers, whether it's at the quarterback position or somewhere else. Will the buy in be the same? You know, whether they'll give him, you know, the GM role. Will he have as much control? All that. There's, there's a lot of factors that they're playing into that. And, and, and for the pages, like I said, I know offensively things haven't been great, and maybe he hasn't gotten the best players offensively to mesh together for the offense to do things. But defensively, it's been solid. And I feel like if you come out this off season, you know, maybe find an O line in here too. Maybe get get you a quarterback. Get you a receiver. Bring bring Ramondre back. Make sure he's locked in there. You have guys that if you find the right guy at the quarterback position and the offense, you know, put in the right plays and system for that quarterback, this team could be just fine. There's a lot of winnable football games that they were in this year, last year. Just offensively, they didn't quite do enough. So that's going to be the biggest question mark. And if he can find a way to get that whole part settled in, this team's right there. I mean, they played the Dolphins. You know, pretty tough a couple of times. And you know, the Bills, they beat the Bills. So, I mean, the Jets, who knows what they're going to be like with Aaron Rodgers. If he's there, you know, who knows what's going to go on with him during this offseason. it probably be a whole nother, you know, question mark whether yeah. he'll be a Jet and all that. So, there's going to be a lot of, you know, ups and downs for a lot of different football teams. And this has been you know, a pretty even year when it comes to the football scene in the NFL. You A lot of these games are toss-ups. You think one team's the greatest and the next week they get – you know, beat pretty handily or lose to a team with two wins. So it's, there's no dominant football team. And then the Patriots really aren't, I know the record looks a certain way, but they're not that far off. Just the offense really has to take a huge step forward next season.
1: Yeah. And that's why I look at it too. Like, so Ramondre will be back next year. They got to figure out if they're going to extend him long-term. What I would do the rest of the season is I wouldn't play him. I mean, it's just I know it's like, he's going to want to come back, but he's got a high ankle sprain hey, man, like the three weeks prior to this, you proved you're still one of the best running backs in the NFL. Sit this one out. You only have so many carries, right? I mean, you know from the position, yep. James, even though, I mean, you did most of yeah. your damage as a receiver. Many, but you, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs>
1: but yeah, but my point, you know, my point is just the fact that, hey, let's let's keep you fresh for next year when we're actually trying to compete again. But the other thing I would say is, like, because you have some of these guys that you think could be long-term solutions with the organization— You now just got to look at the offense. And I think there's two things that need to happen if Bill's going to be back. They have to say, hey, what are we doing wrong when we're looking at receivers? Because whether it's free agency or the draft, they've missed on a lot of guys. Now, they've hit on a few. Like, Kendrick Bourne was a hit, and he was a guy that was under the radar. But I don't know if it's—if Bill's going to be back here, whether it's bringing somebody in. Like, hey, maybe they figure out whoever is in Pittsburgh that drafts receivers. Like, even though they had a tough (laughs) night tonight— Bring that guy over here and, like, help out the Patriots and evaluating the receiver position. Or maybe the thing is, hey, just get a veteran that we know that's good. Like, I keep talking about, like, T. Higgins. I know I brought his name up, like, a million times. But, or Michael Pittman, who is going to be a free agent. And now, like, I, I would imagine both those teams want to keep their guys, but maybe they're t- like, Indy would probably at least franchise him. But, look, Higgins, like, that team's getting expensive, so maybe that's the case. And the other thing I would really think about, if I was the Patriots and Bill Belichick's coming back, I think you really got to evaluate Bill O'Brien because I don't think Bill O'Brien and Max been bad. The offensive personnel has not been great, but I don't know what Bill O'Brien has done to really help this team. Like even tonight, like, was there anything that you looked at and said, hey, like they picked up this big chunky yardage or they went on this big drive because of Bill O'Brien? Like I thought Juju, as I mentioned earlier, Juju made the huge play on the first drive of the game. The throw to the Zappy made to Hunter Henry—that's not a Bill O'Brien thing. That's an outstanding throw and an outstanding catch. So I don't think there was anything in this game, it, like this is one of their best offensive performances, especially yeah. the first half. I don't think there's anything Bill O'Brien did, and it was a lot of Zeke making plays, like in the receiving game, right where they couldn't really run the ball that effectively. And we know the Steelers have a great defense, but that's one thing I would look at because we see all over the league. These young quarterbacks that have good offensive coordinators, or just in general, teams that have good offensive play callers. We think about the Niners. We think about the Rams winning a Super Bowl. Look at what Bobby Slowick's doing right now with the Houston Texans, as they have a young quarterback in CJ Stroud. Like that's so important. I do think like Bill O'Brien's never been great. Like his one great year was with the greatest tight end in the history of the NFL and Rob Gronkowski, and another really good tight end and the guy named Tom Brady at quarterback. So I mean, that's a position that I would certainly be looking at if Bill's back. Like, am I sure Bill O'Brien's the guy? And I know Kraft really likes him, but I haven't seen anything this year that tells me, hey, this guy gives us an advantage. If anything, I would say he's hurt the team more than helped it.
0: Yeah, you definitely have to evaluate it. And one thing I'll say, maybe, you know, with Bill O'Brien, he doesn't feel he can get accomplished what he wants to get accomplished based off of the quarterbacks that he has in the room. I feel like that could be a, a factor as well. You get a a guy in that, you know, maybe he, I wouldn't say he'll handpick it, but, you know, he has some say in what guy he wants to bring in there and design a complete system around that guy, then I feel like you give him a fair opportunity and a fair evaluation. You know, he didn't he didn't choose Mac. He came there with Mac and Zap, and who knows if he was actually confident in those guys, you know, when he got there and he felt like he had to, you know, call his game a certain way based on the guys that he had So, like, you give him another year those one of those guys are the quarterback or somebody else is the quarterback, they have to completely design the offense around those guys in the room at the quarterback position and everybody else. There's, there's some good enough pieces in there if you just find things that all those guys do well. And, he has he's going to have to dial it up. We Obviously, everybody's going to want to see a little bit more. It hasn't been schemed up that well this year as far as putting guys in the right spots and all that. So we're, we're definitely going to have to see more from him as a play play caller going forward if he's going to be the guy.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. So we still got a lot of we still got a lot of football still left in the season. So I guess he has time. Like now that Zappy looks like a competent player, we'll see if he can dial some stuff up during, down the stretch of the season here. But I think certainly we'll see. I think there's definitely a question mark with Bill O'Brien as well. But hey, James, before I let you go, I got to ask you. I alluded to this Sean McDermott stuff that's coming out. Tyler Dunn from Golongtd.com wrote a three-part series on the Bills and mainly Sean McDermott. So how about this? This is from his article. At St. John Fisher College in Pittsburgh, New York, McDermott's morning address began innocently enough, Dunn writes. He told the entire team they needed to come together, but then sources on hand said he used a strange model, the terrorist of September 11, 2001. He cited the hijackers as a group of people who were all able to get on the same page to orchestrate attacks to perfection. One by one, McDermott started asking specific players in the room, questions. What tactics do you think they used to come together? A young player tried to methodically answer. What do you think their biggest obstacle was? A veteran answered TSA, which mercifully lightened the mood. Sean McDermott has to, had to answer questions with the w- about this on Thursday. Naturally, I mean, how could he not have to answer questions on this after the story comes out? He didn't deny it. He just said that basically, like he he made the wrong comparison, but. I just can't imagine like sitting in a meeting room. Right. And your coach (laughs) is saying we have to come together like terrorists, basically this the the September 11 attack. I mean, I knew this guy. It seems like he's got a screw loose. Like he is (laughs) like intense. He is out there. But I can't believe he said this. And I can't like give this guy credit, Tyler Dunn, for this coming out, because it's not like it's a made up story or anything like players have talked about it. Right. Some people. Some of the players, like the quotes in the story, and if you have time to go and read it, anybody that's listening, go ahead and do it. But can you imagine like your coach, like you're sitting in the meeting room and a coach says something like that. You're like, what the hell?
0: Yeah, I saw a few tweets and all that stuff. I haven't read everything about it. I, I don't know whether it was actually true or not. And yeah, that's bad. There's never a need to draw a comparison to get your team to come together to compare yourselves to a terrorist attack this there's other ways to to get your point across. That's a very odd situation. I definitely have been. I'm sure a lot of guys when he brought that up, probably looking across the room like, "Where, like, where is he trying to go with this? And why is he using this analogy? It's it's dead wrong. There's no like, like I don't know. I don't even know like what that couldn't have been his first choice. Like, I, that's, like if yeah. if it was, that's that's insane. Like I know you know coaches trying to find ways. You know, to get guys remotivated and all that stuff. There's, you know, there's plenty of odd things that coaches say to, you know, try and rally the truth. But that's that one's out of left field for sure.
1: Yeah, well, it's a great point because I, th- this th- he just seems like a clown, right? <laughs> like this, this is to your point what was the comparison he didn't go with? (laughs) If the comparison he went with was 9-11, like what was the comparison he didn't go with? I can't imagine, like seriously, like I can't imagine what it would be like. You can't go worse than that, really. I mean, that's unbelievable to me. Oh yeah. So today he apologizes, or I should say Thursday. He says, as I mentioned to the team that I regretted and apologized for me not doing a good job of clearly communicating my point. So Like I said, I I just don't know what his other comparison was going to be if 9-11 was the comparison that he landed on. I I have no idea what this guy is thinking. And then the other thing I would allude to is you look at this team right now, the Bills, they have a huge game coming up against the Chiefs. If they don't make the playoffs, there's been some weird stuff going on there. Like Leslie Frazier just mysteriously said he wasn't going to coach this year. And he's been a really well-respected and... Good defensive coordinator. That team was an elite defense for a number of years. It wasn't just their offense with Josh Allen. They really started out their run with their defense. So I, I wonder if Sean McDermott, like as crazy as this sounds, maybe he's gone after the season.
0: Yeah, there's there's definitely some a lot of rufflings come from out of there from you know last season the the Bengals playoff game, Stephon Diggs blowing up, then you know the offseason stuff with Stephon Diggs. You you fire your offensive coordinator. Leslie Frazier, you know, he, you know, steps away, you fire him, you know, even though it seems like he still wanted to be a coach, you take over as a defensive coordinator. So there's a lot of eyeballs pointing at him, and if they don't make the playoffs, you got to wonder whether he'll still be there. I mean, I feel like they'll end up, you know, still keeping him. He's done a a pretty decent job there, but, yeah, it's it's definitely not looking good. A lot of that that onion starting to peel back, those layers are starting to peel back. And it it stinks, too, because they – they suffered a lot of injuries this season. I feel like if some of those guys, you know, weren't hurt, then they'd probably be in a better spot, but that's the nature of the beast. And I said, yeah, yeah hopefully he don't have any more of these, these type of features. That That's, that's just, that's just so out of line. I don't, I don't even know, man. Yeah,
1: Making any comparison to terrorists, especially on nine eleven, is just idiotic. I, I don't have any idea what he's trying to accomplish there. And, they are playing the Chiefs this weekend. Yeah. Like they're going to need a big speech yeah. by their coach. I would be frightened if I'm if I'm Sean McDermott. I'm not giving the speech this week because who the <laughs> hell knows what that guy's going to say this week? It's a huge game for this team. Yeah, I, and I don't. And what a distraction, right, James? Like <laughs> you're you're getting ready for the biggest game of the year, yeah. and and your
0: team is going to be asked these questions. Yeah, and this has been distractions ever since the off Is all like every other week. There's something you know coming out of there. Whether it's them having. You know, players only meetings, like and all that stuff. It's just like they're like a players only meeting, like week two or three, like or four in the season. Like it's yeah, I I don't know what's going on within the organization. I don't see them making the playoffs. And like I said, when when that doesn't happen, there's probably gonna be more stuff coming out during the offseason. So just wait.
1: <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable that organization right now. Like the Patriots were a dynasty for twenty years. They can't handle three years of or four years of being pretty good. All right, James, I know I said last thing, but before I let you go, game day Bill, he's going to be the guest picker for Navy Army this weekend. The game's at Foxborough, the game's at Gillette, which I know that this game obviously means a lot to Bill Belichick. But any advice you'd give him? I mean, you're on the college <laughs> set every week at the Big Ten. Like, you're going to send him a text or something? How do you think he'll do?
0: I, I think he'll be fine. Obviously, he knows all the history about this da- this game. His dad coached for Navy and all that. I'm sure he's going to pick Navy to win the football game it'll be it'd be interesting to see him in that light I'm sure it's going to give you know a lot of the fans and everybody a different perspective on him he's he's a funny guy and I feel like he's gonna he's gonna show some of his personality on TV I'm, I'll make sure I'm tuned in for it
1: yeah the only thing I'll say is I don't know how he's gonna handle McAfee because that guy <laughs> seems to be out of his mind
0: <laughs> oh yeah he's he's, de- he's definitely gonna throw something at him off the wall I just I just wonder how Bill's gonna respond I I feel like McAfee's going to bring up something about that the deflate Gate stuff. I feel like he's going to throw something. <laughs> he's going to throw a wrench in. There. All Bill's
1: going to do, Bill, Bill, all he has to do is like bring up the footage of the punt that Pat McAfee. Remember that fake they <laughs> oh, tried yeah, to run? Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah Bill they would bring that.
1: Up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, that is three-time Super Bowl champ James White. James, enjoy Bill on game day on Saturday, and enjoy all the football on Sunday as well.
0: Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.
1: Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. All right, I'm looking at this Niners-Seahawks game coming up. I like the Niners. I know it's a big number. I like them to cover the 10.5 against Seattle. Seattle's on a three-game losing streak. They've lost four of their last five, including a 31-13 loss to the Niners. And during that stretch, they've given up 41 points. They've given up 37 points. They're giving up points on 40.3% of their drives, which is 28th in the NFL. The Niners are hitting on all cylinders right now. I like the Niners to win big, even though it's a big number. I like the Niners to cover 10.5 against Seattle. If you've been thinking about joining Vandal, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the parlay hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com.
2: This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. Ultra comfortable and versatile ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.
1: Welcome back into Off the pike. Great stuff there from James White. As always, always enjoy talking to James after the Patriots games. And look, they're trying to tank, or they're not trying to tank. We're trying to get them to tank. They win a game. It's not the end of the world. The Patriots still right now in prime position for that number two overall draft pick. But it was nice to see like, hey, this is actually an enjoyable football game. This game didn't stink to watch because the past couple of weeks, these games have been eyesores. And this was an entertaining game on a Thursday night. Like, it was pretty fun to watch this team play. Now, obviously, if you really wanted to shout at the number one pick, it would have been better overall to lose. But as I was saying to James, like, I don't think the Patriots were going to get the number one pick over Carolina. So you're still in that number two spot. I love Drake May, as I told you. Now it's just, you can't screw anything out going forward. Okay, but... Clearly, this team, they felt they needed a win. Like, you could tell, just listening to some of what the guys said after the game, that they really needed this. Like, this is important to those guys. And look, they're human beings, too. Like, we talk about this from a franchise standpoint, just wanting them to tank out. Give them credit for showing up when they easily could have faded away. And the Steelers, man, you talk about issues. They lost to, <laughs> back-to-back weeks. They lose to two-win teams. So, not the end of the world. My prediction is the Patriots still get the number two pick, and they still get... Drake May. All right. I did want to transition from the Red to the Red Sox for a second here. And then we'll bring in Jamie McClellan for our picks on Sunday. I got to tell you, when news came down, now it was starting to come out a little bit on Wednesday that the deal was close between the Padres and the Yankees. And at that point, I was just hoping this thing would break down, right? Because it was taking a while, but it was more on the Padres side than it was on the Yankees side. So I was hoping this thing just fell apart because... We've seen trades fall apart, not just in baseball, but across the sports world, right? We've seen trades where, I mean, we saw it recently with the Celtics, right? I know it's not Juan Soto, but we're talking about the Malcolm Brogdon trade where the Clippers said, hey, no, we don't like the medicals. So that trade doesn't happen, right? So we've seen this happen in sports before. So that was my hope. Like, I know that was a long shot, but I was holding out hope because Juan Soto is like my favorite non-Red Sox. Now, not in the history, like Ken Griffey, loved Ken Griffey growing up, like I have different all-time favorite players, but- I just love how this guy plays in terms of his approach at the plate. And this is not hyperbolic when I say this. He may be like the best player of all time in terms of plate discipline. Now, Barry Bonds walked a ton too, but that was more about, hey, like we are super scared to pitch to this guy that's on steroids at this point in time. His ability to spit on pitches Juan Soto is like nothing I've ever seen in the history of the sport. Now, I can't go all the way back like to the... 70s or the 80s but from the guys I watch best plate discipline of all time like he makes taking pitches look cool he does that thing where he kind of like leans up in the batter's box so now he goes to New York and he has Aaron Judge like I am sick and I'm already sick over this thinking about late in games hey first you got to face Soto from the left side then you got to face Judge from the right side like that is just going to be so difficult to pitch to so basically what they have now is the best power hitter in Major League Baseball, the best slugger. I mean, second best slugger, I guess. I mean, Otani, like you'd have Otani over Judge, but two years ago, you look at all the home runs Judge hit. So, one of the best two power hitters in Major League Baseball, and the best guy in terms of on base percentage, really, over the past five years. You go from 19 to 2023. Juan Soto is fifth in war. He's first in walks at 561 from 19 to 23. The guy that's second in walks during that stretch is Max Muncy at 387. So 174 more walks than any other player over the past five years. You look at the walk rate over the past five years, 19.5% by far first in Major League Baseball. So he's walking almost one out of every five at-bats. His on-base percentage over the past five seasons, not like over the past month, right? Not over like a two-month period. Over five seasons, his on-base percentage 424. Unheard of. And still, he slugs, right? 526 slugs, which is 13th, 950 OPS, which is fourth. And then, if you look at the judge combo, right? Like you combine these guys together. Judge since the start of 2021. He is leading Major League Baseball since the start of 21 in war, slugging percentage, isolated power, home runs, OPS, and balls that he's barreled up. He leads baseball in all those categories over the past three seasons. Juan Soto during that same stretch, of course, leads Major League Baseball in walks, on-base percentage, walk rate, and walk-to-strikeout ratio. So you have the best on-base guy and the best power guy. Like, I'm laughing because this is going to be torturous for the Red Sox. And the other thing that makes a lot of sense with Soto, I talked about Verdugo the other day, and this is to a much higher degree. The Yankees last year in terms of their lefties, left-handed hitters for the Yankees, 29th in plate appearances, uh, 47 home runs, which is tied for 24th. They were 29th in RBIs, dead last in hits out of lefties, 29th in average from lefties, 29th in on base percentage, 24th in slug and 25th in OPS. So basically they got nothing out of their left-handed hitters last year. They didn't really have a lot of them outside of like Anthony Rizzo, right? They didn't have lefties. So that was a mess for them, and now they get one of the best left-handed hitters in all of Major League Baseball that complements their best player in Aaron Judge perfectly. Having that, like, Imagine having a nine-pitch at bat to Soto, and then it's like, oh, fuck, I walked him. Here comes Aaron Judge, right? The only thing you can criticize Juan Soto for is his defense. He's not a good defensive player. Last year, minus six defensive runs saved. That was 40th of 48 qualifiers in the outfield. That's the only thing. But this is pure torture to me that Juan Soto and Aaron Judge have teamed up. Now, the big thing now is you can't let them get Yamamoto if you're the Red Sox. So the Red Sox have been, and I'm going to continue to go through this as the offseason continues to go on. Multiple reports have Teoscar Hernandez linked to the Red Sox. The Angels and his former team, the Blue Jays, also in on this. The reason this makes sense, first of all, Teoscar Hernandez hits for a ton of power. From 2021 to 2023, he's 23rd in home runs. He's 15th in RBIs. He's tied for 22nd in hard-hit balls, and he's tied for 12th in balls that have been barreled up. The Red Sox righties last year, because that's what they need. That's what I mentioned the other day when they traded Verdugo. They don't need lefties. They need righties. So you look at Hernandez in 2023, or the Red Sox righties in 2023, 26th in home runs, 21st in average, 24th in on-base, 24th in slug, 24th in OPS, and 26th in hard hit rate. Now, part of that is Duvall was dealing with injuries, and Story was dealing with injuries to begin the season, and Story was not the same player when he came back. So Teoscar Hernandez is not going out there and getting Juan Soto, but they need some right-handed power. I would not be, he's on the other side of 30. I would not want to give him a four- to five-year deal, but if you can get him on a two- to three-year thing, I'd be all in on that. I mentioned the other day, Guriel's another guy that I'd be after if I was the Red Sox. But here's the thing, like, Teoscar Hernandez would mean a lot to this team. But now that the Yankees have made this splash, and Otani has been linked to the Blue Jays, and we're supposed to find out about Otani before the weekend ends. Although who knows that Otani is apparently pissed that people are finding out that he's meeting with teams. Like I, I don't know what's going on with Otani, but anyway, by, and he's going to get like the richest contract in the history of the sport. He's upset about teams like that. It gets out there. He's meeting with them anyway. So John Morosi and Jeff and both said that the Red Sox are very much still in this. Now, we know that he's going to meet with the New York teams, the Yankees, and the Mets, but the Giants also link to Yamamoto, the Cubs link to Yamamoto, and the Blue Jays link to Yamamoto. So here's the thing. The Red Sox at this particular point, with what the Yankees already did with Soto, with Otani still out there, and it looks like the Blue Jays, as I mentioned, could be a real landing spot for Otani, which is just what that team needs, right? You look at the Blue Jays. They tried to go for Yoshida. They wanted a left-handed bat so bad last year. Now you get the best left-handed bat in the game in Otani. Their lefties last year just 20th in home runs. Like, they did not hit any home runs last year from the left side. And we know they have great right-handed hitters when you're talking about the Bichettes and the Vladimir Guerrero Juniors of the world. Like, they have a good lineup that just needs a lefty, and you could get the best power hitter in the sport that also hits from the left side. But to me now... It's Yamamoto or bust for the Red Sox. Like Craig Breslau and company, they may do good things, right? They may make some good moves in the offseason. But now we see where the arms race is right now, what the Yankees are doing. The Red Sox have to get in on this. They have to got to go big game hunting and they have got to land Yamamoto. Now, the prize after that would be Jordan Montgomery, which would be a nice piece. And the reason he makes sense for the Red Sox is from 2021 to 2023. He's 6th in starts, 16th in innings, and 16th in war among starters. The Red Sox starters from 21 to 23, 26 in innings. So the Red Sox starters have not been going deep into games. We know about all these injuries. So that'd be great, right? Getting a guy like Jordan Montgomery. But at this point, seeing what else is going on in the division, I want Yamamoto. Like, I am sick over the Soto thing. And there's nothing the Red Sox could do. They weren't going to make that deal for Soto. Like, I understand all that, right? But my problem is the Yankees look like the Yankees again, right? They went out there and Brian Cashman, who has been under criticism there for more than a couple of years now, and he's done a poor job running that organization over the past couple of years, they landed a big fish. The Red Sox, what the Red Sox used to do, they would land the big fish too. So to me, now this off season becomes all about Yamamoto. There's not like a big free agent bat out there. Like I said, I believe they'll add Gurriel or Te- Oscar Hernandez, but that's not the big fish. Those are nice pieces. But now you got to get the guy, because you still need the ace. You still don't have the ace. And Jordan Montgomery is a really good pitcher, but he's not an ace. You could say, okay, he's a number one, but he's not an ace. Yamamoto is labeled as an ace, like a can't-miss pitcher. The Red Sox need to find a way to get Yamamoto after what we've seen happen with the Yankees. This is what used, to, and this will help the rivalry, especially since Redugo's there now. I thought the other night maybe there's a chance they move on from him. Clearly, they're not doing that. But the big thing here is, just be the Red Sox. Be what the Red Sox used to be and land the big ticket item. All right, let's bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, you just witnessed the Patriots win a football game. You witnessed Juan Soto since the last time we talked. Go to the New York Yankees. Do you have a stronger feeling on one or the other?
3: Um, what a, That's a tough question. I think I wasn't quite as enamored with uh, Soto. Obviously, he's great, but I don't I don't have, like, a personal connection with him. I think you mentioned it in your segment that they're not getting Otani, and that would have actually killed me. And uh, I think the one thing, this sounds crazy as a Red Sox fan, but if we can't get him on the Red Sox, it'd be kind of cool if he went to the Blue Jays. I would love to see him play, you know, a lot more. It'd be cool to see him pitch and stuff like that. So, I don't know, maybe that's that's crazy because he's going to kick our ass if he goes to the Blue Jays. But, again, I just... I want him in my life more. So if he's coming to the ALEs and he's not going to the Yankees, that sounds like good news.
1: Yeah, I I understand your point on the Blue Jays. And I love watching him play. I've seen him play in person, and it was awesome, like nothing yeah. I've ever seen. The guy's striking out guys left and right. He's hitting balls off the wall at Fenway. The game I was at, he had, this is two years ago, not last season, two years ago, it was a day game. And it was awesome because there's no one there because it was like a Thursday during the day, right? He literally hit his number at Fenway Park, like where they put up his number. He literally hit it; and it was like 108 miles an hour, or whatever it was. Now, the one thing I'll say, I understand your point, like wanting to see him play more often. I don't want him in the division, so I, I don't <laughs> yeah, want him fair, in the Blue Jays fair. because I feel like they're a left-handed power hitter away from just being incredible. But and they already are a good team, and they have Kevin Gosman. They have pitchers. We'll see what happens with Manoa next year. Like he seemed like. He found something at the end of the year. That was like a bizarre Weird strange year. story. Yeah, just because re- he was really good for a couple of years. I don't like the guy. I mean, this guy's chirping Franchi and Dahlback <laughs> two years ago when he struck him out. It's like, do they they strike out against everybody? Like this isn't like some <laughs> sort of accomplishment. Do that when you strike out at the time Bogarts or Raffy or J.D. Martinez. You don't do that when you strike out Bobby Dahlback and he didn't Franchi even Cordero. have his glasses. A good point.
3: <laughs> <laughs> try to try to strike out Bobby Dalback with his glasses not as easy
1: yeah well I mean the other day they said Dalback's part that. of the plan going forward I, I mean yeah, I've never been a dollback guy but what are you gonna do I mean you got Casas I mean that's the good thing all right so Jamie let's get into some picks for the weekend thanks to our friends at FanDuel so I'm gonna do another TD parlay okay, okay. this is a big one plus two thousand four hundred and fifty nine <laughs> Four-legger. Right, now, the reason it is that let's high is because I got two guys in this. It's a four-legger, and I got two guys in the same game. That's why. That's how you get the odds up. So I have Mostert to have a touchdown against the Titans, and then I have Derek Henry to score a touchdown in that same game. Henry scores like every week now. I have David Montgomery for the Lions to score mm-hmm. against his former team, the Bears, right. and then I have Gus Edwards to score against the Rams. That's my four-legger. Plus 2459 I mean, you put $10 on this thing, you're winning, <laughs> Why not? what, $246? Or
3: you put, uh, you know, $100 on, and you get, buy yourself a new car.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's a lot of dough, <laughs> no, man. That's a lot of dough. No. Yeah, I like it. I, I mean, already put can, it in. I, can, I put, I get it yeah, in there. I can't there
3: say no, it's plus 2400 You can't say no to that. So, yeah.
1: Well, and too, especially, you're just trying to have a little fun, you put $10 yeah. on it. My, my only hope, well, I shouldn't say my only hope, like, I hope it hits, but... Like, if I get to the point where they're asking me for uh, cash a out. cash out, like late, if they're asking me for a cash out, like late in the day, because that Gus Edwards game, I believe is later on. I got to double check that, though. But I think the
2: kind of an interesting of strategy, Brian. No,
1: I think one of them is later on. No, no, I wouldn't. Yeah. You know, it's so 820 is the Eagles and the Cowboys. So, yeah, I don't have anybody in that game. Oh, uh, you know what? Rams and Ravens, that's a one o'clock game. That game is. That game is actually in Baltimore. For some reason, I thought that was going to be in Los Angeles. But no, hmm. I should be good I should be good here, man. Oh, that's what I was thinking. The Titans and the Dolphins is Monday night. Ah. Uh, so I'm going to have to hold out to one. I knew one of them was late.
3: You might have to be on to something, Brian. If you hit three legs and you leave a leg out, maybe, you know, Vegas gets nervous and you cash out.
1: Yeah. I'll tell you, though, that's happened to me once before in the cash out. You just got to go through it. Wasn't worth it? No. Yeah. It's like a quarter of a quarter of what I would have made, you know, stick to your guns, especially when Um, I'm only putting 10 bucks on this.
3: So (laughs) cash out for six dollars here or something. (laughs) Um, I got some fun parlays, too, Brian. I have have one. I have a sliding scale of funness with this parlay. I got looking at the Bengals. They're going up against the Colts. Like, I I don't know why they're they're favored by three, but I'm just taking a parlay with the money line for them to win. Uh, Jamar Chase to get 80 yards, and my new favorite player, Jake Browning, to throw for 250 yards. Talking about the offensive player of the week, Brian.
1: But um, dude, he was awesome in that game. He was awesome, unbelievable. And like, you start to think about the back, the quality of backup quarterbacks yes. in the NFL. Like, this guy was awesome, and a little bit, he's probably feeling a little bit frisky here after what we saw last week. And Washington, he was the last quarterback to bring Washington to the college football playoff. We're in the college football playoff <laughs> yeah. again. Like the Bengals are still like in the hunt. They're in the right. hunt without Joe Burrow. Very and here's the thing. So. You know what I would say too, Jamie. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off there, but right. why didn't they just play this guy at the beginning of the season when Burrow couldn't move? I love like, that. That that would have made way more sense. Like this guy's obviously competent.
3: I mean, they didn't know what they had. I guess as we we learned with Zappi, you can't get everything out of practice. But um. No, he That's looked true. great, and it obviously it helps throwing to T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. But that bet plus five ninety two, Brian. But I like that really, plus five ninety two. Well, plus five ninety two. If you really believe in them, and you take Bengals to win, and you take Browning to throw for three hundred yards, and Chase to go for over a hundred, plus nineteen hundred. And it's like they're kind of. It's almost like one's going to hit the other. If Jamar Chase goes for over a hundred, or vice versa, if he goes for three hundred, one of those is going to hit. Obviously, it's not a lock, but. He threw for 350 yards last week, and the Colts kind of have a shitty defense, so plus the 1,900.
1: You could take it twice, put actual money on your first parlay, and put Mm -hmm. like 10 bucks on the second parlay.
3: Yeah, I think I will.
1: That could be the way to do it. What else you got, Bri? Okay, so my second, and this is my second, my money leg parlay. So I'm back to the money leg parlay after I hit the money leg parlay, what, two weeks ago? And then last week, I tried to get fancy again. I went to like, plus 390 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. So I went back to four-leg money la- money line Parlay. This is for plus 215. Uh-huh. Dolphins over the Titans, the Monday night game. Cowboys over the Eagles. I like the Cowboys in this game. It's at home. They're much better at home than there are on the road. They don't turn the ball over at home. They turn the ball over like crazy on the road. And we saw some vulnerabilities last week with the Eagles. I actually think the Cowboys are the deeper team. Now, I know mm-hmm. the Eagles already beat them this season, but I do think the Cowboys are the deeper team. And the Cowboys, to do the cliche, they need it more. So I'm going with the Cowboys over the Eagles. Niners over the Seahawks, which is just, I mean, come on. like the, C- yeah. the not, They just rolled them two weeks ago. And the Niners are the best team of the NFL from a talent perspective. And then the Lions over the Bears. The Lions got to beat the Bears. And they're, of course, a playoff caliber team. They had the one stinker a couple of weeks ago against Green Bay. But I still like that Lions team. I don't like the Lions as like a legit contender because I have concerns about their defense. I don't have concerns about their defense. Against Chicago. So four leg, (laughs) 215, Dolphins over the Titans, Cowboys over the Eagles, Niners over the Seahawks, Lions over the Bears.
3: Okay. I think if we're talking in terms of cliches, Brian, I just get nervous when
1: the Cowboys are in a big game, you know? (laughs) Like they sit the bed every time. True. And I don't think Mike McCarthy's coaching, right? He may not be. And he's their play caller because I I was, what did he have, like appendicitis or something? Oh, he did have appendicitis. So I don't know if he's going to be able, well, maybe he'll be back by Sunday if he had it. As someone, Ryan, can...
3: who's had appendicitis and appendicitis, it's quick recovery. I bet he'll be out there.
1: So you think he'll be out there. Yeah, and it's, it's more important this year than it's been in previous years because he obviously this year he's calling the plays. And last year he wasn't calling the plays because they had Kellen Moore. So it would be more impactful this year compared to last year.
3: I think Sal and Bill Simmons were talking about a coach of the year candidate with Mike McCarthy recently. What do you make
1: of that? He certainly should be in consideration. I mean, I yeah. it's it, coaching the year is so difficult to do because it's like you have to exceed expectations. So like, right? D'Amico Ryan's if they make the playoffs, yeah,
3: yeah, it could be. He's him. certainly going to be in consideration. McDaniel's maybe right. McDaniel, yeah,
1: Mike, Mc, yeah, Mike McDaniel's a good one. I know they made it last year, but now they have you know the one of the best, best offenses offense we've be seen. Yeah. yeah, Kyle Shanahan could always win it. Like he, I don't like he's got a. I know he's got load a loaded team, but. I he's think up. he
3: falls into that problem that Belichick always had. Like you said, expectations. I feel like he's just now people think he's a really good coach. So unless they go 16 and 0, he doesn't win it.
1: Yeah. No, it's a good point. It's weird. Like Eric Spoelstra has never won a coach of the year in the NBA. Yeah, and it's everybody crazy. thinks he's the best coach in the NBA. I guess I How get it in that? some sense because they've had, they're never like that good during the regular season. Like last <laughs> year they true. were in the play in, right? Like yeah. during the play in ter- yeah. Now, two years ago they were the one seed. He probably should have won it that year.
3: He should have won it when they had LeBron and stuff and they were the best team in the league
1: true
3: yeah uh my last pick brian is part of your your uh your parlay but uh what's it called i think lions minus 3 against the bears safe pick i saw they're minus 122 so i think everyone's putting their money on detroit but obviously it's like bears suck they've scored what 12 points and 16 points in their wins recently and that's that's not going to be enough i don't think to beat the lions so we're in agreement about that one
1: yeah are you worried at all about the Suckfest fest now that the Patriots won and Carolina plays New Orleans, I feel like now like that Giants result is just so huge that they that, that they we lost won. them. Yeah, like that. Yeah. if they won tonight at, and they had beat the Giants, it would have been brutal. So I just feel like that Giants result was so huge. Arizona is off this week and then they play the Niners, the Bears, Philly, and Seattle. I guess they could beat Chicago Bears. Yeah, so they could I'm have. Not worried, Carolina. Carolina plays New Orleans. The Saints are a mess, but I, Carolina's just so dysfunctional.
3: We're not going to get the one, I don't think. And that's, I've made my peace with that. I, I yeah, you're cool with two. I mean, I think you have to be at this point. It's not going to happen. Two wins, and again, I think it's like the strength of schedule, it's changing, but I don't even think we have the tiebreaker against Carolina. So, two, get a great QB. That sounds good. And, and like you said, we have a hard schedule going down the stretch apart from the Jets, so I don't see us winning again.
1: Yeah. All right, Jamie. Well, good stuff. I mean, and the one thing I will say is we had an enjoyable football yeah. game, and now, now we get nice. to watch football all day on Sunday too. Yeah, I was. I agree with you. It was nice being the Steelers, so I'm happy. That that friend, like I, I I'm actually. <sighs> I should probably do this. Turn on a pony show, Andrew <laughs> Pony, <Filippone>, who <laughs> yeah, we had I'll on. To. He was just he, he he. You can tell this guy does. He does not like Tomlin. I got to throw his <laughs> show on tomorrow afternoon. Dude, the crowd Pittsburgh. too. They
3: turned against Mitch Trubisky like halfway through the first quarter.
1: I know for Mason Rudolph,
3: <laughs> They're like, booing him from like the opening kickoff.
1: He is bad though, man. Yeah. What were they doing at the end of the game on fourth and two? They <laughs> like, threw a go route. Go route into double coverage. <laughs> that team is dumb, man. They also took yeah. a t- now look. I I thought that that was the wrong call. Like I thought the Patriots should have been called. I don't think that should have been the other way around. Full start. The pa- yeah. Like I I didn't think that should have been a full start. I think that should have been on the Patriots. But they called a timeout to do that.
3: And then they used their other timeout on, like, first and goal, like, halfway through the third quarter. They had one timeout when it mattered with, like, two minutes left, and the game was over.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so Tomlin has sort of been exposed. We talk about Bill all the time, like, the post-Brady era. Tomlin's been exposed, too, without Ben Roethlisberger. We heard Pony talking about that the other day on the pod as well. So that's what I'm going to do on Friday afternoon. I'm turning on Pony's show. I I think it's going to be epic. I can't (laughs) wait to hear how pissed this guy is. it's good reason cardinals and the patriots you lose to him back to back (laughs) i I forgot about that holy shit they were seven and four with the cardinals and the patriots they probably thought we're easily getting to nine wins like we're getting into the postseason when the division almost but you know what jamie it's good for us as football fans we don't have to watch the steelers in the playoffs did anybody want to watch him in the playoffs no No.
3: they win ugly games it's true
1: all right jamie good stuff man thank you ryan All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Shruti for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.